I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news this week, but raise your hand if you have heard of the James Webb Telescope. All right, I see half of you. James Webb Telescope. Okay, so let me tell you what it is. Have you heard of the Hubble Telescope? You heard of the Hubble Telescope? Okay, so the Hubble Telescope, well, the James Webb Telescope is the new Hubble Telescope. So it is a telescope attached to a satellite which is orbiting the Earth beyond the moon. Okay, and so this satellite cost 10 billion dollars, <laughs> okay, which is mind-blowing, from conception to putting it where it is now, it took 30 years for this James Webb telescope to actually get where it is today in orbit, 30 years, 10 billion dollars. I don't even have a concept of what 10 billion dollars is. I hardly have a concept of what 30 years is. I'm only 42 years old. That's like over half my life. But the James Webb Telescope is the most advanced camera, has the most advanced camera that has ever been sent to space. And so what scientists are doing is they're taking the telescope and they're zooming out further than we've ever looked before into space. And so the picture that's on the screen is a photograph of the farthest that we've ever been able to see into the universe. And what's amazing is that these are not stars, these are galaxies, which are galaxies of stars. Okay, and they're, I mean, beyond imagine far out there. And so for the first time we're able to see, or not the first time, we're able to see even further than we've ever seen before. And you know what's interesting is if you, if you go back and Google this, Google the James Webb Telescope, you'll, you'll hear that people are really excited about it. And the reason they're excited about it is because people have been looking at the stars since the creation of man. Right? I mean, think about it. Even in the Bible, we have stories about people looking up at the stars, don't we? Who, who looked at the stars? Abraham, right? And where is Abraham in the Bible? Yeah, way over here. In Genesis. Right? And so from the very beginning, people have been looking up at the stars, asking the big questions. How did it all begin? Are we alone in the universe? Huge questions. What is the meaning of life? Is there a creator behind all of this creation? Huge questions. Because humanity was created to look around and wonder. You were created to look around and be curious. God designed you to be curious. The question of the day today was, how can a relationship with God grow cold? How can a relationship with God grow cold? Well, let me ask an easier question. How can a marriage grow cold? How can a, any relationship, but let's take a marriage, how can a marriage grow cold? 
Well, not long ago, I was uh, sitting at a restaurant with my wife, and I looked around because I like people watching. Anybody else like the people watch? It's like, you're just kind of nosy. You're just nosy, okay? That's what you are. But sometimes I like to look around at people, and I noticed there was this older couple, middle-aged, I'll say, gray hair, gray hair. middle-aged couple, and this, and this couple was sitting together on a date, and I could tell they were married because they had wedding bands on. But as I looked at this couple, I could tell that their love had grown cold. Why? Because they never made eye contact across the table. What were they doing, do you think? They were looking at their phones the whole time. They weren't talking to each other. Even when the wait, wait, waiter came, they didn't even look at each other. They just sort of made their, or I'm like, are y'all on a date? I mean, you could be on a date by yourself, right? Relationships start to die when we stop being curious. Relationships start to die when we take it for granted that we know the other person. Okay, that's true in marriage, it's true in friendship, it's true in other family relationships, or even your relationship to anyone, and it's true in our relationship with God. Relationships start to die when you stop engaging. They start to die when you stop asking questions. When you stop being curious. Because like the stars, God created you to be curious. God created us to build a $10 billion satellite and send it into space so that we could explore God's world. Now, we may have issues about how that money's spent, but that's not the point. The point is, God has created you to be curious. And you know what's amazing is that in the church, we stifle curiosity all the time. What we do in the church is we say, don't question God. What we do in the church is we say, Mm-mm, you can't ask that. Mm-mm, don't bring that question. Uh-uh. You, can't, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't bring your questions to God. You need to leave that outside. That's what we do in the church. I'm not saying we should, but that's what we do. Why? Because we think questioning God is a sign of unbelief. We think questioning God is rude. We think questioning God is something that you just shouldn't do. But I looked, I searched my Bible, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't question God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't ask God questions or ask God why. In fact, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. I looked just in one book, the book of Psalms, which I think is here somewhere on the bottom. No, second, this one. All right, I, need, I should have written it on the back too so I would know where, I'm, where I am. All right, so in the book of Psalms, which was written during the, anybody know? What was this time period? The United Kingdom. Good job, Joel. The United Kingdom. <laughs> this was the United Kingdom, right? Under King Saul, King David, King Solomon. All right, and that's when all of this poetry was done for the most part. It, most, most of it was done during this period. So the Psalms were written. And if you search the Psalms for interrogatives or for questions, I found that there were, y'all ready? 
There are 150 Psalms, okay? There are 300 questions in the Psalms. 300. Twice as many questions as there are Psalms. I found that to be incredible. Let me just give you a couple of examples, all right, of what the questions are in the Psalm. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Can y'all feel that? (laughs) Why do the nations rage? Uh, Ukraine, Russia, racism, etc. (laughs) Right? Why do the nations rage, God? Psalm 2. Psalm 42. Have you forgotten me? That's in the Bible. That question. Have you forgotten me? Psalm 80, verse 4. Y'all thought that was bad. Listen to this one. Psalm 80, verse 4. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Wow. How long will you be angry with our prayers? We're trying. (laughs) Right? Y'all feel that? Do you feel that? Asking God questions, hard questions. And sometimes asking God questions just about life. Psalm 119, here's this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? <laughs> I mean, Lord, have you been in this world? Have you, have you been on the internet? How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a legit question. Amen? Psalm 119, verse 9, that's the question. The last one, I'm, gonna, I'm going all the way through the Psalms. Psalm 121. 121. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Our relationship with God starts to grow cold when we stop being curious. Our relationship with God grows cold when we stop asking questions of him when we don't even realize that his word is full of questions his word is full of 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 the human response and experience of coming to God and saying Lord I don't understand and so some people are not here today I know for a fact some people are not here today because they have questions And they feel like church is not a safe place to ask their questions. But I'm here to tell you, not only is church a safe place to ask questions, but prayer is a safe place to ask questions. And did you know the Psalms right here were written to be sung in church? Can you imagine if, and our songs are nothing like the Psalms. I mean, our song selection is like, if you read the Psalms and you go and read the lyrics to the songs we actually sing, <laughs> there's no comparison. Because the songs we usually sing are more about our happiness and our response to God and our blessedness. But the Psalms are about real life. They're about the junk. They're about the hard things, about the questions. They're about mourning and lament. Being honest about the world. Man, we need to do a series on the Psalms, I think. But God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your questions. And if you know somebody who's got questions, please tell them church is the place for you. 
Did you know there's 300 questions in the book of Psalms? Y'all take that. It's 299 to be exact, okay? But 300, basically. 300 questions in the Psalms. Be curious. I hope you noticed earlier when we were reading the scripture from Luke chapter 2, which is where we're going now. I hope you noticed how Jesus went about studying the Bible. How did Jesus go about studying the Bible? How did he go about uh, learning about his heavenly Father? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. You should be there already. And we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 41. Verse 41, now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, so context, who is he? Jesus, right. Just want to make sure we're all together. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know, but supposed him to be in the group And when they went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed. (laughs) They were amazed at his questions, at his understanding, and at his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. But he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus, listen to this, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's stop and take a minute and just give God praise that this is our Savior, that God is not so far off in a galaxy far, far away, but He's he's come here. He's come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And even in the person of this 12-year-old boy who was sitting at the feet of the teachers, who was learning, who was asking questions, let's give God praise that, that God became human and dwelt among us. That he didn't, he didn't stay far off, but He came to us. And He dwelled among us. And He understands what it means to be human. He understands what it means to have to learn something hard. He understands why. Because Jesus, this, is, this is theology, okay? This is our understanding of who Jesus is. He took on our human nature. And what that means is that he didn't stop being God. Theologians like to say he's 100% God and 100% human. 100% God and 100% human. 
human in the person of Jesus. I know what does that mean? What it means is that he got to experience everything that it is to be human. The Bible says, yet without sin. And so every temptation, uh, every difficulty along the way, puberty, amen. Uh, <laughs> having a relationship with parents, right, who don't understand you. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? Okay, it's right there. But Jesus experienced our struggle. And I love the fact that he's not, as a 12-year-old, sitting there teaching. Right? I mean, he probably maybe could have. But he's actually learning. He's actually reading the Torah, the Scripture, for himself. And he's learning. He is curious. He's asking questions. He became our Savior because he was fully human. The fact that Jesus asked questions lets us know that He is a capable Savior. Because He experienced life just like we do. And that made Him uniquely able to be our Savior. No one else could be our Savior because no one else has lived the human life like Jesus did. Taking on our full humanity on Himself, yet without sin. Being tempted in every way, tested yet without sin. And so Jesus lived and He learned. And the Scripture here says that He grew in wisdom and in knowledge and stature with God and man. He became the perfect human. But it was not instantaneous. He had to grow. He had to learn. And the Scripture in Hebrews actually tells us that Jesus not only learned about His Father through uh, Bible study, but He also learned, even though He was the Son of God, He learned obedience through what He suffered. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. If you think studying is suffering, it is. It's hard, right? Studying's hard. Jesus had to study. And it was hard for him. He's human. But he also learned obedience, full obedience by what he suffered. And if you think studying is hard, it's nothing compared to being falsely accused, uh, being tortured, abused, nailed to a cross, innocent, Bearing the weight of the guilt of all of His people on that tree. And in doing so, Jesus learned obedience. Through His suffering, He perfected for all time what God requires of each of us. And it was our sin that put Him there. It was our disobedience that put Him there. It was our guilt, our shame, our burden that put Him there. But it was His love that held Him there. 
Because Jesus, having experienced the life that we all experience, loved us to the end. He loved us all the way to the end. So that he, he willingly gave His life. He willingly submitted Himself to the Father's will for redemption of the world. And that's what this whole story is about right here. It all points forward to the cross. And it all points back to the cross. And what Jesus did there to give us a new life. A new identity and a new humanity. And so what the Holy Spirit has done is filled the lives of believers. And now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is pointing us back to Jesus. Reminding us of what He's done. Helping us to walk away from shame and guilt and to walk in newness of life. To walk in obedience, new, fresh obedience. That doesn't come from the fact that I have to do it, but because I want to do it. And it renews our relationship with God. And, it's, and the Spirit gives us new curiosity. The Spirit gives us new questions. So that when we sit across the table from our Maker, we're not just playing on our phones. But we're saying, Lord, tell me about this situation. Tell me what this means. Help me understand What's going on in the Scripture right here? Be curious. That's what God created us for. To be curious. And Jesus' life and death and His victory, His resurrection over death and His victory over sin now makes it possible for you and me to actually walk it out. For you and me to actually be freed from guilt, freed from shame, and to be given power to walk in this new life, in this new relationship with God. And that is what, and, and then to look at the stars, and you don't have to wonder, did someone make it all? But the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? And so then when you look at the sky and you look through the telescope, you say, it's amazing what God has done. What is man? That you are mindful of Him. There's another question from the Bible. What is man that you are mindful of Him, God? And God invites us to pick up His Word that was given through the apostles and the prophets. And we have the Word of God, a sure testimony. A sure testimony. The truth, the inspired, which, which means God... Y'all remember? God breathed. Right? Inspired means God breathed. It's the very Word of God. It's living and active. And so as we pick up the Word, we can, we can study the Word by asking questions. And so that's, we've been, uh, this summer so far, we've been talking about the comma method of Bible study. And, and we've gone through two weeks of talking about context we talked about the, the context of the words, and then we talked about the context of the world, or the literary context and the historical, cultural context, which was covered, Joel covered last week. And I haven't listened to the sermon yet, but I'm going to. Um, it's on the podcast if you didn't catch it last week. In the comma, we move forward into the next section, which is the O, 
And the O stands for observation. When we make observations of the world around us, what we're doing is we're just looking to see what's there. And one of the best ways to make observations is to ask questions. To be curious. That's how I make observations. That's what scientists do. To make observations, they ask questions. Why does this apple fall when I drop it? I mean, I'm observing it's happening, and I'm asking the question, why? Okay, that, that part of the process is just observation. It, it's, it's being curious. And so, I have a notebook. This is a little, a little notebook. You can get these at Walmart or wherever. And on the inside of the notebook, I open it up, and I've got a picture of a blank page. Can y'all see that? I know it's small. But that's the blank page. And then what I, what, now there's a lot of ways you can do this, but I'm just going to show you one, one way you can do it. The next thing you do is put your date at the top and the scripture that you're going to study. So today, just for an example, we're going to look at a psalm. We've been talking a lot about the psalms today. We're going to look at Psalm 23. So that's one you're familiar with. Psalm 23, so I've got that, that's the date on the left, Psalm 23, and if you go to the next slide, this is how you can, oh, well, go to the next one. They're all blank. I knew it. That's okay. But not there. That's okay. So, basically, you write comma across the page. Okay, so if, let me just pull it up here because I got it in my notebook. I know this is too small for you to see, but I'm going to... Okay, so you got the date, the passage that you're going to study. On the far left, it says context. Y'all see that? I know you can't see it, but it's on this side of the page, context, context at the top. And then I drew a line down the middle of the page. The next column, the second column, it says observation, observation. And then on the other page, you have another column that says meaning. And then I drew a line. And then on this side, on the far right side, it says at the top, main idea. That's the second M, main idea. And then right below that, it says application. Or what, what difference does it make? How do I apply this to my life? Okay, now we're going to work through this over the next few weeks. Okay, so today we're really just focusing on observation. And I'm sorry my visual aid didn't, uh, didn't work this morning. That's all right. So be curious. Learn how to ask good questions as you're approaching Scripture. Let's read Psalm 23, okay? So get your Bible open and turn to Psalm 23. I'll give you just a second to do that. Or if you have your phone, uh, you can do that. I'm pretty sure I can fix the slide, so I'm going to go back there and do that real quick. Psalm 23.
All right, can somebody say church planting? (laughs) Church planting. All right, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All right, pull up the one that says context, and it's still too small for you to see, but you, you get the idea. All right, so I wanted to start with context. So think about it. What's the context of Psalm 23? What are the, what's the context of the words? What's the context of the world? What's the literary context? What's the historical context? And so I'm going to suggest just a few things. You can write these down if you want to, or you can go back later and write down some of your own thoughts about what's the context. One, the first thing is that it's a poem, right? The first thing is that this is a song. That's important. You need to think about the genre. This is a song. It's a poem. So it's going to be written like poetry. It is written to be used in worship. That's the context, Right? It's meant to be sung, actually. Uh, we, we, you know, we speak it all the time, but it actually was originally written to be sung. And some of you have heard versions of Psalm 23 being sung. So it's, it's, it's a psalm. It's, it's used in worship. It's to be sung. And then what about the author? Who is the author? That's part of the context. King David, right? David is the author. Well, who was David. What's the historical context of David? We already mentioned him earlier, right? He's in this, in this section right here, 1 Samuel. David in 1 Samuel was anointed king. What was Samuel doing when he was, I'm sorry, what was David doing when he was anointed king? Anybody know? He was out tending the sheep. Right? And so part of the context of this scripture is that it was written by a shepherd, right? So it was written by someone who actually understands what it means to tend to sheep. That's part of the context. Shepherds, we know from history, were not, it was not a glamorous job. Shepherds were poor. We know that David was looked down on because he was a shepherd. 
In fact, when Samuel came to anoint uh, a, a new king, David's father didn't even bother calling David to come down to the house. Why? Because he was out tending the sheep. Why would God want to make a shepherd the king? See, that's the cultural context. That's all part of context. Anything else? Well, David became king. Part of the reason he became king is because he proved himself by fighting a giant named Goliath. But before he faced Goliath, he faced down lions and bears who threatened to attack his sheep. And so we're filling out a little bit of the context of who this guy is. Who is this guy, David? And if you know more of David's story, if you, know, if you, if you go into 2 Samuel, then you will, you will remember that David committed adultery and he had her husband killed. He uh, committed, really, murder by proxy. And he was feeling pretty good about it until Nathan came to him. And do you remember the story that Nathan told to David to get him to realize what he had done? You remember? Anybody? Yeah, it was the story of a shepherd. A poor shepherd and his little lamb. And God used that story in David's heart to pierce him and convict him of what he had done. Um, A story about a shepherd and a little lamb who was robbed and taken away from him. So what I would do and what I've done there is I've written out all of that stuff we just talked about. I just jotted it down in little notes on the left side of the page. Context. Now you might get some more than that or you might get less than that. That's okay. I just wanted to show you how it works. All right, so now let's move into observation. We'll move into observation. And let's, let's, let's ask questions about who are the people, where are the places, what are the things and the ideas that come out in the Scripture. So we, when we make observation, we want to ask questions about people, places, things, ideas. You could think about the, the, the W questions, right? Who, what, when, where, why? Okay, those are good questions to ask in Bible study. Who, what, when, where, why? And so, here's some questions. And we'll just go through it. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? Why is he called the Lord? Just write the question down. You don't have to answer it. Just write the question down. Why is the word Lord capitalized? Write that question down if you're curious. What does a shepherd actually do? Write the question down. And it says... I have a question here. Where are the green pastures and the still waters? Why bring it up? Like, what are they? What is a green pasture? I mean, you might think you know, but maybe there's some research you can do into a a green pasture or still waters. Raise your hand if you think you know what still waters are. Okay, so that would be a good question, right? What does that mean, still waters? Look it up. All right, what about... The next, he says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, what's a soul? That's a question you can ask. He mentions a soul. What is a soul? Write the question down under observation. I noticed as I was reading through it that he repeats the word he four times. 
It says, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside. He restores my soul. He leads me. So I just asked the question, why repeat the word he? Why does he do that? Why, why is that word repeated over and over? Okay, be curious. Ask questions. Uh, why does he say, when it gets down to verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why does he say, even though, instead of even if? Why does he say, even though, instead of even if? Good question, right? Even though I walk through the valley, or even if I walk through the valley? Why does he say that? Why does he put it that way? Then you get down to your rod and your staff. They comfort me. What's that? What's a rod? What's a staff? Right? I mean, those are not terminologies that we necessarily know the answer to today, right? And so we write the question down. What is a rod? What is a staff? Maybe there's something I can learn about a shepherd if I know what a rod is or if I know what a staff is. All right? Well, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do they bring comfort? That's an observation question, right? It's, it, I'm curious. Why do a rod and staff bring comfort? But see, y'all, do y'all see what I'm doing here? You have to like be curious about the text. You have to be curious about what God is saying. You have to like, you have to really think about it and not just sit there and assume you know what Psalm 23 means. But dig into it. Ask the questions. We'll keep going. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Well, as soon as I read that, I was thinking, now he's talking about a table and a oil and a cup. Am I still a shepherd? Or has, he, has the metaphor switched? Because now it doesn't seem like he's talking about a shepherd, but maybe he is. So my question is, what's going on in verse 5? Right? Or why does he shift to a table? Good question. Okay? And that's just, I'm curious. Is he, is he still talking about a shepherd? That would be another question you could ask. All right? And so you got that. He said, and what is this whole head with oil thing? Right? You anoint my head with oil. What is, that, what, what is that about? Write it down. That's a good question. By the way, the observation part is not about giving answers. It's about putting questions down. It's about saying, making observations or asking questions. All right, then he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says goodness and mercy. Well, I need to define those terms. What is goodness? What is mercy? Let me write a definition of that. Make an observation. What, what are these terms? What do they mean? And why are they following me? Like, why is he saying that goodness and mercy will follow him? Have you guys ever been followed? It's not a good feeling, is it? Right, so, so there's a question there. Like, what's going on? Why is goodness and mercy following me, and is that a good thing? Or what's happening with that? Okay, you just got to be curious about it. Ask the question. Write it down. And then he says, uh, well, I have a lot of other questions. Who are David's enemies? He says, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to fee, uh, feed me in the presence of my enemies. Put a table before me. Well, who are David's enemies? I'll write that down. Got to ask that question. Who are my enemies? Right? Okay. Write that down. Who are my enemies? Um, 
What does an overflowing cup mean? Why is that significant? Where is the house of the Lord? Okay, he says, I'm going to be there forever. Well, what is that? What's he talking about? You might think you know, right? You might think, oh, heaven. But is that really what it means? Does it mean heaven? That's a good question to ask. Maybe it means something else, okay? So we've just gone through the whole psalm, and we've thrown out observations. I hope I didn't lose anybody. I know that was kind of tedious. But we're, but we're asking questions of what we're reading, and we're, we're, we're interrogating it. We're, we're, we're being curious. We're, we're asking these questions. And the reason why I like to lay it out this way is because then over to the right on the next page, right across from the questions, you have a section of meaning. And then as you discover what things mean, you can write down what they mean just right across from the question that you asked. And so I like how that kind of lines up. You can ask the question and then later answer it or say, I don't know, let me call Gary or, <laughs> you know, let me, uh, let me phone a friend and, uh, or let me look in a commentary, which is a, a, way, uh, a, a way to understand what some, some others have said about a scripture passage. All right, I hope that all makes sense. Let's go back to our original question. How can a relationship with God grow cold? A relationship with God can grow cold when we don't do this. When we don't take time to be curious about what God has given us in his word. When we don't have the conversation. Because God does not typically speak audibly to us. Right? But he does speak through his word. The Bible says of itself, the word of God is living and active. But, but you will not hear God speak to you through the word unless you actually open the word and do something like this and be curious of, of what God has said. And I promise you, if you take the effort to dig into it, if you take the time that it, that it does take to, to set aside and get a notebook or just a piece of paper and start to work through some of these things, ask the context, ask the observation, God will open up to you more of who He is. He will open up more of who He is to you and you will be blown away and, and, and at what God will show you about Himself as you study His Word. And, and, and really, I want you to keep in mind that, that image of sitting across the table from one that you love, but, but being engaged being curious, asking God the simple questions and the hard questions. God is speaking to us if we're willing to dig in to his word and be curious. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've given us tools um, like a translation that's in our language that we can understand. Uh, you've given us tools like brothers and sisters who can help us get started. Uh, Lord, you've given us your spirit who has filled us and has given us the ability to understand what you're saying in your word. You illuminate the words of scripture so that we hear your voice as you're speaking in and through the word. 
And Lord, I pray today that we would be uh, encouraged to maybe just take out Psalm 23 and just write down some of the context and some of the observations that come to us. Lord, that you would give us understanding of who you are, that we would grow like Jesus in our knowledge of you in wisdom and stature. Lord, pour your mercy into our lives and make us curious in Jesus' name. And for your sake, we pray. Amen.